0: Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Tuesday, March 28th college basketball slate of DFS action. Uh, More specifically, it's two NIT games that we have going on on Tuesday night. We've got the NIT semifinals, which I learned today are actually in Las Vegas. They're not in New York. It's going to be North Texas versus Wisconsin, and it's going to be Utah Valley versus UAB. Two very different, but both interesting games that you got plenty to talk about. But I do want to talk about today's Elite Eight games first. So recording this here on a Sunday night, so we now know what the Final Four looks like, right? Uh, it's going to be probably the craziest Final Four in recent memory. Um, and just four teams that, you know, probably nobody saw coming in a bracket pool that I was running. There was only one person that got one team right in the final four, and that was UConn. Nobody else had Miami, Florida Atlantic, or San Diego State. So just a wild and unpredictable tournament so far. But y'all, today kind of the basketball didn't take center stage. Like, you know, the end of the Creighton-San Diego State game is what everybody's talking about and whether or not the play on Darion Tremel was in fact a foul. And I got to say, I thought Jay Wright – did an outstanding job on the broadcast in between games of explaining from the coach's perspective what coaches want to see during the games from officials, right? Like that foul, like I'm saying foul because it was called a foul, but I thought it was definitely the contact warranted a foul. But I agree 1000% that you could bring up clip after clip after clip from that game of contact that was at that level or higher and not called a foul. And, and as a coach, all you really want is consistent rules and consistent officiating on both teams. Uh, on what's not or what is a foul, and I, I thought that that is where that play failed was you know, that amount of contact had not been called a foul numerous times during the game. Because one thing we do as coaches, or at least this is something that we do on our coaching staff, you know, because I do coach high school basketball. I'm just an assistant, but this is something we do, is we ask the officials, like, hey, like, you know, what do you do? You know, where did you get him So that way we can tell our guys, like, hey, like, you didn't keep your feet still, or, you know, you broke verticality, or, you know, just something to let them know what they did wrong so they can not do it in the future. And on that one, you know, I know that the ref's going to say, like, you know, he got him on – the body or you know he got him with um you know his arm on him and you know that just hadn't been called a foul for that whole game so that that was what was kind of frustrating there watching it live was like you let all this physical play go and then in the biggest moment of the game it gets called yes it's a foul but it's also been a foul for the other 39 minutes and then you have the late game with texas and miami and y'all it is a sad sad day to be a texas longhorn fan like i had really was feeling good about that game for about 20 minutes. And then it just felt like, again, kind of the officiating kind of just turned. Like everything Texas did was a foul. And... They, they just wouldn't stop. And, you know, it was 32 free throws to 15 at the end of the game in favor of Miami. I'm not saying that they were all bad calls. I'm not saying that Texas never fouls, but it felt like, you know, if some of the ticky tack stuff that they're calling on Texas, you can call on the other end as well. And there are a few times that even the broadcasters, you know, Grant Hill and Bill Rafter even mentioned it. Like it was kind of a phantom foul called on Texas and it was really frustrating to watch. And then you have with a minute to go in a tie game, Brock Cunningham getting called for a foul on a box out where pretty much I wish Cunningham would have been able to see what was going on because if he just stays put, it's a foul on Omir. Like, queen queen is day, it's a foul on Omir if Brock Cunningham just stays set. But he kept backing up, kept boxing out. And then it looks like he undercuts Omir as opposed to un- Omir reaching over the back, and and that was an instant four point swing because you looked at like you know Texas was going to get two free throws with a good foul shooter. To now all of a sudden Miami's getting two free throws with a good foul shooter, and that kind of ended the game. Now Texas offensive execution wasn't great, but like I just I still didn't have a good feeling about how that game was officiated personally. Um, and you know I'm I'm biased. I'll admit that. Like I you know uh, Miami fans probably feel much differently about the game, but part of What makes March Madness great? Like, as much as today sucked as a Texas fan, what makes March Madness great is that, you know, one blow of the whistle, one flick of the wrist, one dunk, one play, one shot, one turnover like, it can all go from joy to just utter frustration and disappointment. And like there's 67 teams that are going to experience that disappointment in this tournament. Like, like I know it felt for Creighton fans today, it felt as a Texas fan. And I know that, you know, Virginia fans and UCLA fans, like they all have felt this feeling in this tournament. And, you know, that's kind of what makes it March Madness is like you're one play away from either joy or disappointment in every game with a single elimination tournament. So, you know, while it sucks today as a Texas fan, I'll get over it. They'll be back next year. For the record, I want them to hire Rodney Terry. I'm on the Rodney Terry bandwagon. I love what he did with that team this year. I think you can give him a two, three, or four-year deal. And at that point, if it becomes, you know, if it's not a good fit, if the performance hasn't been good, then you can find somebody else. But I think what he has done, he's shown an ability to connect with those kids, and he's shown an ability to get a lot out of them and I think he deserves that job. That, that's my personal opinion. I, I will die on that hill. Anyway, uh, enough talk of the Elite Eight. Um, you know, it's a smaller slate here that we got to talk about with the NIT. So I did think it was okay to talk about some broader uh, college basketball stuff going on. We do have two games to break down. We're going to start it off by kicking it off with the North Texas at Wisconsin game lastly y'all we're going to end the introduction here if you like what you're hearing on mike's money picks here on the podcast please subscribe you'll be notified when new episodes drop like when we drop our final four episode later this week like when we drop our episode for the valero texas open later this week this week's pga tour tournament Uh, also please rate and review it really does help me out a lot Um, like i genuinely did not know until i started doing this how much that actually does help and how much that does matter so please help me out rate and review the podcast. All right, so let's end the introduction there. Let's go ahead and start off with the North Texas and Wisconsin game. But first, a quick word from our friends at Spotify. All right, so the first NIT semifinal is North Texas versus Wisconsin. Ken Palm has this one as North Texas 61 to 58. That is 119 points. That is um, quite low. Like that's like throwing it back to like the Bob Cousy days of scoring the basketball. So um, not exactly the game you want to target in DFS, but you are going to have to play somebody from this game. So um, it might be time to figure out who that somebody's going to be. I'm personally on this slate in favor of heavy stacking the second game but you, you know there is gonna be somebody from this game that's gonna be in my lineup that's just the rule so let's see if we can figure out and identify who that's going to be now um if you want to talk about why this game is projected so low as a total it's because of the tempo that both teams play at north texas is quite literally the slowest team in the nation according to ken Palm. in uh, wisconsin is 342nd so it's not like they're lighting the world on fire either north texas's last three games have gone for 122 130 and 125 points and the 125.1 had five minutes of overtime that was played to get there to that total. So this one is expected to be lower than all three of those because it is featuring Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, if you did not know, played in what might be the lowest scoring basketball game of the season in battle for Atlantis against Dayton. I believe that one was 43 to 42. Um, I don't remember seeing any game more lower scoring than that one this season. There there might be, I might be wrong, but it, at least in terms of like the power conference teams, that one was pretty darn low. All right. now let's talk about the North Texas guys. So Tyler Perry is their star and game flow does not seem to matter for him in terms of getting his fantasy production. He plays almost every minute of competitive games. So if you look at his game log and you just remove the games that were like more than 20 point winning margin, you remove the total blowouts. His last five games that were, you know, under that margin were 31.8, 46.8, 32.5, 27.3 and 36 fantasy points. You average that out, that is well over four times value for him. So he doesn't need a great game flow to get to that four times value. Uh, And he's going to be able to get there because of his usage rate. It's incredibly high. He has a 25% usage rate on the season, and it's been around 26% in the NIT on average. So I actually have no problem trotting him out just because of his insanely high rates. Uh, I still think even with the terrible game flow, he has a chance to get to four times value. Now, Aaron Scott is North Texas's second best fantasy scorer, pretty consistently. He does get dual eligibility, but I do have a few concerns about him in this game. He tends to score better in higher scoring games. He does not have his best fantasy outputs uh, in these rock fights that North Texas has found himself in. And he also doesn't have that high of a usage rate either. He hasn't had a usage rate over 20% in his last five games. In fact, he averages a 14% usage rate on the season. That's just not what we want out of a guy up here in the 7K range. And my last concern is that he needs rebounds to get the value. And Wisconsin's a pretty good rebounding team. They're definitely not a bad rebounding team. And also, when you think about rebounds, the number of rebounds increases when the number of possessions increases. So, uh, in a game that's going to feature super low amount of possessions, uh, I don't really want a guy who's dependent on rebounding to hit value. Now, I'm much more interested in Kai Huntsberry on North Texas. He's second in usage for North Texas on the season. He's hit four times value in three of his last five. He has a pretty big 23.5 assist rate, uh, 23.5%. That is. Um, he's also candidate to see huge usage if tyler perry were to ever get in foul trouble um it, all of it would just go straight to huntsbury so i'm not saying that's gonna happen but like there's a pathway to him getting to five and six times value where I don't think that pathway exists for Aaron Scott. Now, what is significant for North Texas is that I expect them to be without their center, Abu Usman, for the third straight game. They've been without him for their previous two. And in those previous two games, Mule Sissoko and Jade Martinez have seen boosted minutes. Mule Sissoko is a Dayton transfer who is 6'9", 240. He is a physical presence. Uh, he plays very physical and he plays very hard. Like he gives maximum effort. He's not the most mobile guy in the world, but he does have surprising verticality. Uh, and he can really like hammer home dunks with power. Now against Oklahoma State, I was very impressed by him. He played thirty-four minutes and had thirty-three fantasy points. I had him, you know, on DraftKings for that um, for that slate, and he was like five percent owned and like just absolutely crushed it. You had to have him in your lineup if you wanted to win big. Um, now he actually doesn't have um, bad rates at all. Um, so in that game against Oklahoma state, you know, 34 minutes, 33 fantasy points, that's about a fantasy point per minute. And with his rates in terms of usage and rebounding, he totally can get to that pace in terms of fantasy points per minute. It would not shock me if he did it again. However, and this is something that played him at Dayton as well. He is prone to foul trouble. Um, he really just tends to foul quite a lot, and I think part of it is because he is such a strong physical presence. Sometimes when he doesn't do a whole lot, it looks like he is because he's just stronger than the other guy, right? Like, like he could stand there with verticality, and a guy runs into him, and the other guy is taking the brunt of the contact, and it just looks like you know it's so go foul him, and it's really not. Um, so. The foul part trouble, the foul trouble does kind of concern me a little bit for Sissoko, uh, especially considering he'll be guarding Steven Crowell for Wisconsin. But I definitely think he has a lot of upside if he's able to stay out of foul trouble. Jaden Martinez is the other big that is played. He shows less upside than Sissoko. But, you know, like I said, if Sissoko gets in foul trouble, you could see big time minutes out of Jaden Martinez. I think if. If you're looking at how to construct your roster, I think that Sissoko as a play on paper is better, but Martinez would probably give you more leverage on the field in terms of ownership because I think more people will definitely click on Sissoko after the big game last game. Now, Reuben Jones is North Texas' fifth starter. He plays a ton of minutes, has legitimate five times upside, but he's got an inconsistent usage rate. He's a boomer bust value play, in my opinion. So, like, In terms of how this slate's constructed, I wouldn't mind playing a Ruben Jones from this game because he's a guy who legitimately does have a lot of upside, and really, if you're just playing one or two guys from this game, you might as well get a guy or two, maybe three, that have pathways to ceiling games, and he is one of those guys. Now, North Texas does play two other guys off the bench, along with Jaden Martinez. Uh, that is Edie and Stone. Um, they kind of just see like random amounts of minutes, and they don't really have huge usage rates. They're just punt plays to me um, that have just a little bit of upside. I don't think it's super likely that either of them gives you a big game. Now, in the postseason, Wisconsin is kind of condensed to a seven-man rotation where six guys will play over 20 minutes, and then Jordan Davis will play about 15 coming off the bench. Um, Now, the problem with Wisconsin is predicting which Wisconsin guy will go off. Um, So among the starters, you've got Hepburn, Wall, Kraut, and Asesian all averaging – over a 22% usage rate on the season, but the problem is, is the like game to game, that 22% isn't consistent, in fact, their usage leader has changed from game to game in the last five games, it's changed from one player to another in the last five games, so it's just really hard to predict which one of these guys is going to go off, but when you look at the box scores, when you look at the game logs, pretty much one guy does go off every game, it's just kind of playing the game a roulette to see which one it's going to be, now sometimes it can be predictable in terms of matchups, but other times it's just kind of like, I don't know, like you kind of can't really figure it out with a whole lot of rhyme or reason. So let's try to see if we can figure out what it's going to be against North Texas. So what we have seen against North Texas, I looked through um, any team that scored a significant amount of points against them this season, which is not a whole lot because like I said, they play at that super slow tempo. So there's a lot of games they played where teams are in the thirties, forties, and fifties. So I looked at their significant box scores, right? And just to see who kind of goes off against them. And so there's also, there's a trend of a few of them. Smaller guards have had success against them. Joey Walker of UAB, Caleb Asbury of Oklahoma State, and Luci Patterson of Charlotte, which that would bode well for Chucky Hepburn if he's able to recreate what those guys do. Um, Two bigs, like legit seven-footers had success against North Texas. Uh, Vladislav Golden of FAU, hey, watched him Saturday night. He had a heck of a game against Kansas State. And then Musa Cisse of Oklahoma State also had a lot success last week in the nit uh which that would bode well for steven Crow, who's a legitimate seven footer and could join that club as well uh and then there's also a few smaller examples of like the small power small forward power forward you know kind of type having success um with Alex Dukas of St. Mary's and Bryce Williams of Charlotte. Those weren't like huge games though, but they did have some success. They were efficient. They did have high usage rates. Um, and so that would bode well for Tyler wall. So to me, if you're going with the small guard narrative, which there is more of, that would be Chucky Hepburn. If you're going with the seven footer narrative, which obviously smaller sample size, but you know, that would be Stephen Crow. Uh, and then the long athletic forward type, um, you got Tyler wall. Um, I would probably be more inclined to click on Hepburn out of the three of them, but I might just bypass it altogether. Now, if you're looking to spend as little salary on this game as possible, there are two bench players for Wisconsin, Carter Gilmore and Jordan Davis. Both have had at least one five times value game in their last four. And if they were to see any kind of foul trouble, like, you know, you could see extended minutes for Gilmore or Davis. So, um, like I said, you know, in terms of constructing our lineups for this slate of games, if you're looking at a 2 6, like, and you want to spend a little money, you've got options from the Wisconsin side to do so. All right, so that does it for game one, Wisconsin versus North Texas. Let's flip on over to the late night game, which is Utah Valley versus UAB. But first, let's take a quick breather. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about Utah Valley versus UAB, which is a game of two teams with fairly similar color schemes and uh, two teams that like to push the tempo. So Ken Palm has this one as UAB 78 to 76 for a total of 154. Um, If you're good at math, that's 35 points higher than the total in game one, which is Kind of crazy for a two game slate. I cannot honestly recall the last time I saw a two game college basketball slate where the difference between the two games was 35 points in the totals. Like I thought the one from Sunday with Creighton, um, San Diego State, and Texas, Miami was a big gap, but that wasn't 35 points. So anyway, let's talk about this one. So both teams are in the top 50 in tempo, um, and both teams really have fairly consistent rotations. So it's actually not a hard game to find people to target from. However, the guys in this game are much more expensive than the other one on average. So for Utah Valley, they're pretty starting five heavy Aziz Mandago is the highest priced utah valley player on the board he is a hyper athletic seven footer who sees a lot of usage in ball screen action or as a guy rolling to the rim or cutting to the basket um and he just he's really good like i had not watched utah valley until their last game against cincinnati Um, and i did watch that one and i was really impressed by this guy i think he has an nba future Um, you just don't see seven footers that move like he does and i think if he polishes off his jump shot a little bit he's going to be able to play in the nba now what i do like about Bandago is that UAB is not a great offensive rebounding team and he has an 11% offensive rebounding rate. So he definitely has a pathway to a ceiling type game here against UAB. Now, Trey Woodbury has been absolutely on fire this postseason for Utah Valley. He has six straight games over 31 fantasy points, and three of those six are over 40 fantasy points. And in that span, he's averaging about a 25% usage rate, which is more than his season average, because Justin Harmon is actually their team usage leader on the season. Harmon has hit four times value in four of his last five games, and what I really like is that he's taken 14 shots in three of his last five games. So what you're seeing is with Woodbury and Harmon, two guys that are currently taking a lot of shots, have a lot of usage on the season, um, and it's held up in the NIT and in their conference tournament, and are in a game that's going to be played at a fast tempo where a lot of shots are going to be taken. Yeah, I don't mind either Woodbury or Harmon, and I think you can actually stack them together. Now, Tim Fuller for Utah Valley is their starting power forward, and he has one dud game against Colorado that I think actually really helps us out a lot. I think that one dud game is really bringing his price down, um, and so I think that definitely makes him an easier piece to fit into your lineups at the forward position than a lot of other guys that are options. He's had over four times value in three of his last four games, um, and so I think that that deflated price tag is helping him out quite a bit. He definitely has a pathway to five times value. Now, Latre Darthard is a regression candidate. He's kind of their fifth starter, um, really the last significant guy I'm going to talk about for Utah Valley. Uh, I think he's a regression to the mean candidate because he's been 7 for 30 from the field in his last three games, still averaging 10 shots a game, which is not bad. But, you know, only seven made in the last three games. That's not great. Like, I think he's definitely – a candidate for better shooting. And I think that a lot of people are not going to click on him for that reason. The fact that he hasn't had a whole lot of success when he is a guy who can shoot the basketball. So I do think that he could be due for a bigger game, especially, and I mentioned this with Woodbury and um, Harmon, especially in a game where it's going to be up and down. There's going to be a lot of possessions. There's going to be a lot of shots. So I don't mind going to Darth Art. And I think he might be the lowest owned of the Utah Valley starting five. Now they do play three guys off the bench, small Neeld, and Potter, Um, But to me, those guys are just punt plays. Like, you look at what they've done. They don't play a significant amount of minutes. They don't really get to four or five times value very often. Um, Just punt plays, guys that you can throw out there if you need value, uh, especially if you're playing a GPP. And, hey, maybe if they hit, they hit. If they don't, they don't. All right, now let's switch on over to the Blazers of UAB. Side note, you may have heard this, you may have not, but Conference USA, has only lost one postseason game so far. Between Charlotte winning the CBI, FAU making it to the Final Four, UAB and um, North Texas making it to the semifinals of the NIT, that conference has had a better postseason performance than just about anybody. And I really think that's a sign of how strong that league was this year. I think you had five teams with... um, Florida Atlantic UAB North Texas middle Tennessee and Charlotte who are all legitimately good basketball teams and I think it's going to be interesting to monitor next year does conference USA get consideration as a two-bid league depending on how those teams perform anyway let's go ahead and talk about this game for UAB before we get ahead of ourselves so no one on the slate in my opinion, has the ceiling of Jelly Walker for UAB. He's, he's listed on DraftKings as Jordan Walker, but he goes by Jelly. Just trust me on that one. Now, Jelly Walker has a massive 30% usage rate and 34% shot rate on the season. The 34% shot rate is ninth in the country. It's quite a lot. Now, he also has had some big games in the last two months. He's had five games over 40 fantasy points in February and March. Um, he also had a few games in there where he missed Uh, And he also had a few games where he left early with injury. So I think you can kind of just throw away the bad performances if you just look at the good. He should be priced much higher. That shot rate and that usage rate in a game of this tempo, like you could see a legitimate 60 fantasy point performance against or for Jelly Walker. I don't think it's necessarily going to happen, but I think that there's a legitimate pathway to it where a lot of other guys in this slate don't have it. Now, Eric Gaines is a guy for UAB who's had back-to-back four times value games, and he is the fade Walker play, right? He is the guy that has his best games. If Jelly Walker is injured or, you know, gets in foul trouble, that's when Eric Gaines comes through with his best games. So I definitely don't mind him. I think if your strategy is that you're going to fade Jelly Walker, it's probably best to put Eric Gaines into your lineup for that leverage. Now, Trey Jemison is another UAB blazer who has back-to-back four times value games. Uh, He's 6'11", so in both of the games that he's played well in, he's had significant size advantage down low. We talked about, well, I don't think we talked about it on the podcast. I think we talked about it on Twitter how Vanderbilt's interior defense without William Robbins was just not good, and so he was really able to do a lot down low against Vanderbilt. Uh, and so I don't think this is necessarily the best spot for him against Utah Valley, though, because he's not going to have that size advantage against Az- Aziz Bandego. And so I don't really think this is the best spot for him, you know, for a guy that uses his size to go up against a guy that's bigger than him. Now KJ Buffin plays the power four position for UAB, and he plays a ton of minutes, but I- I'm not. Super excited about KJ Buffin. When you look at the recent performances, Jemison has been better. Uh, he's shown more upside. He's had higher usage. Um, but I, I don't know. I kind of think that if you want to fade Jemison, Buffin's an option. And also, I kind of think that foul trouble could be an issue for either of these two guys, specifically Jemison, because Aziz Bandego draws a lot of fouls. And so if Jemison does get in foul trouble, like that opens up minutes for Buffin as, you know, a little bit more usage. It also opens up the two bench bigs, JV and Davis and Ty Brewer. Now, what I really like about Davis and Brewer is, is that all four of the UAB bigs, Jemison, Buffin, Davis, and Brewer included, all average over a 10% offensive rebound rate, and Utah Valley is outside the top 100, the top 200 in offensive rebounds allowed. So you're looking at, you know, kind of this is the spot where Utah Valley can be attacked, and you're looking at four guys who all have a chance that could do it. Now, I particularly like the upside of Javian Davis. He is the third highest usage rate on the team behind Walker and Gaines, but the problem is he only averages 15 minutes a game. If you ever see a game Javian Davis gets to like 25 minutes, he could really have a ceiling performance. And like I said, this is a game where you could potentially see foul trouble for Trey Jemison. So I really think that there is a lot of upside for Javian Davis. I'm not saying that he's a safe play, I'm not saying he's an optimal play, I'm not saying he's a guy that you should play, but I'm saying that there is a pathway for Javian Davis to have a big game here in this one. And on a small slate, a two-game slate. If you're playing a GPP, you want a guy like that into your lineup because if you're going to win it, it's going to have to be with a guy like him who goes bananas and you know has low ownership as well. Kind of like Moulay Sissoko did last week in on that nit slate. Now, lastly. There are two other guys for UAB worth mentioning, and that is Ladarius Brewer and Tony Tony. You know, first team all name selection there for Tony Tony. They've both shown upside. You know, they both have four times value games in their game logs, but they just have incredibly inconsistent minutes. You don't really know what they're going to do. So, what I'm really looking at over the course of this whole slate is I think that I might actually go get my value plays from the North Texas Wisconsin game, as crazy as that sounds. I think that there's guys in that game in the lower price ranges that have a better pathway to four times value or five times value than in the UAB Utah Valley game. And so what I'm probably looking at is, you know, building through those value plays and then spending up with like a Jelly Walker or um, uh, Bandago for Utah Valley or um, uh, Justin Harmon for Utah Valley or a Trey Woodbury for Utah Valley, right? Like I think the spend ups should come from this UAB Utah Valley game and the value should come from the North Texas-Wisconsin game. That's kind of what I'm thinking right now. I'll have to sit down when I actually make my lineups and figure out exactly what I want to do. But just kind of my impressions right now, that's probably where I'm going to go with it. And I do like the upside of Javion Davis at UAB. He's definitely going to be featured somewhere in there as well. All right, that does it for... Game two of the night, and that does it for this preview of the NIT semifinal DFS action on DraftKings for Tuesday night. As a reminder, please hit the subscribe button. I'll be back later on in the week talking Final Four. Uh, I will also be back later on the week talking the Valero Texas Open. Uh, Next week, if you did not know, is the Masters. We're going to have a lot of content coming your way for the Masters. So if you want to kind of, you know, dip your toes in playing DFS Fantasy Golf or, you know, betting on the golf market or, you know, something like that, check out my preview for the Valero this week. Um, And then that way you'll kind of be well-versed on what to expect for the Masters Um, a week later consider it kind of like a warm-up week for you know betting or dfs for golf Uh, anyway that does it for this episode guys like i said sunday night still kind of hurt about my longhorns still kind of bitter but hey it'll be all right Uh, now now it's on to um the third season of college basketball you got the regular season you got the postseason now it's portal season so it's gonna be time now that you know as a fan of a team who's been eliminated from the tournament who are we going to be identifying in the portal? Who are we going after? Who, you know, who are we going to be keeping? Who are we going to be losing? And that that kind of makes for an interesting part of being a college basketball fan nowadays as well. So um, anyway, I'll be all right. <laughs> but let's go ahead and let's end the episode there. Best of luck to you guys and all your DFS endeavors. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see y'all next time.